guys. What's going on? What's going on? This is episode four of the APE Ape Academy podcast with your host, Mr. CEO Chase H. Today's episode is about the history of the gun. All right. What we all love, right? Hopefully we all own it, own a uh, firearm. Everyone who's listening, if you do, amazing. If you don't, great. I want to convert you to our side. Come to the dark side. So hopefully I can uh, add a little bit of a historical context to uh, gun ownership. Kind of talk about the history of the gun, where it came from, how it got here. All right, so this is just going to be part one. Because obviously the gun has a very, very long history. Okay, guys? So we're working from the ninth century, all right? All the way up to the American Revolution. I promise, okay? I promise, I pinky swear that this will not be a boring freaking college lecture. All right? This is going to be informative. This is going to be really, really cool. This is going to be a quick and fun journey into the world of the gun thank you so much for listening now it's time for our intro featuring beats by my boy organic dope 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 Stop acting like I'm like a DJ, like DJ drama. DJ drama, 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 drama. All right, all right, all right. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so today's episode is about the history of the gun. All right, where did it come from? What are its origins, right? How did we get to this point? So... We didn't wake up one day in 2021 and all of a sudden a Glock was just there, right? There's obviously an evolution, okay? Just like anything else, you know, whether it be cars, whether it be uh, firearms, whether it be computers, cell phones, everything goes through an evolution over time, right? Everything starts at one kind of rudimentary, crude prototype. Right, and eventually over the years, all these brilliant people become involved and they start tweaking, they start changing things, and eventually it becomes what we see today, right? Which is the modern firearm, right? Whether it be a Glock, a Sig, a Walther. I shot a uh, Walther for the first time in years today, and it was awesome. There's a, oh my God, there are so many great cutting edge modern firearm companies out there, not just Glock, not just Sig, not just Springfield. There's a lot of up-and-comers, right? So we need to pay attention to everybody, all right? All right, so we're going to start in the ninth century, all right? Way, way, way back. 
through the annals of time, through the annals of time. All right, so where do we start? Okay, where does the gun come from? What is the first mentioning, the first mention in history of anything gun-related? All right, so first things first, right? Before the gun, there was a substance called gunpowder, right? So in order for our guns to go bang, there has to be a certain amount of gunpowder in each cartridge, right? Guns don't go bang without some type of explosion, right? So an explosion has to happen first for the bullet to leave the muzzle, okay? So let's start there. All right, so let's go way, 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 way back. Ninth century China, okay? China is the cradle of gun development, right? It is, you know how they call Africa the cradle of civilization? China is the cradle of guns, okay? Uh, Gunpowder was discovered in 9th century China, okay? 9th century China. Black powder was invented in China during the 9th century, and what happened was there were alchemists. So alchemists were people kind of like modern-day uh, inventors, like chemists, right? They, they, they were the you know, mad chemists, like the mad scientist guys, like Bill Nye or something, you know, mixing chemicals in the lab to see what goes bang, what explodes, what twinkles, what sparkles. They're just mixing all type of crazy stuff in their little uh, laboratories, or, you know, their ninth century laboratories. So th they uh, they stumbled upon the explosive mix of potassium nitrate, sulfur, and charcoal, and they found this. They found this really really unique blend of of uh, elements, right, of materials, because they were looking for an elixir of life. Right, so in the ancient world, everyone, and even now, right, everyone wants the secret to eternal life. Everyone wants to know the secret to life, right? What is the secret to living forever for immortality? How do we, how do we live forever? How do we make sure we find our fountain of youth, right? How do we keep replenishing ourselves, right? And that's what they were looking for. And what happened was they discovered gunpowder in the process of doing this. They're trying to create something for the emperor you know, to make sure he stays youthful and young and strapping, but they found gunpowder instead. Okay? So, this is what happened. Alright, let me let me run through it for you guys. A Chinese Buddhist alchemist, he wrote the first recorded description of gunpowder. And this is a quote. This is from history.com. Okay? This is where I'm, I'm referencing. This is what I'm referencing right now. So I'm not like some, like, prodigy genius that just comes up with this stuff off the top of my head and memorize facts. I, uh, I do my research, and uh, I was researching for this podcast, and this is what I found. This is what I found. Figured I'd use my education somehow so my parents aren't uh, disappointed in me. Anyway, some have, uh, this is a quote, a direct quote. Quote, some have heated together the salt, pepper, sulfur, and carbon of charcoal with honey, smoke, and flame result, so that their hands and faces have been burnt, and even the whole house burnt down. So what he was describing was kind of like these really, really crazy dudes, like these <laughs> these madmen with probably like no lives because all they do is play with chemicals all day, right? They're just mixing all this crazy stuff together, and what happens is blowing up in their faces. It's blowing up in their hands. It's burning their faces. The heat from the explosion is really starting to 
starting to be noticed. Like, it's like, oh, wow, this could be used for something pretty cool or destructive, right? And in the beginning, that's what it was used for, for destruction. All right. Um, so that's a direct quote. And, you know, at first, actually, you know, let me take that back. You know, at first it wasn't really used for destruction. Eventually it would be. It would be used very quickly for warfare. But initially, right, before people figure out how to kind of harness it into a very specific uh, weapon, right, an explosive, they were used for fireworks. So gunpowder was packed with uh, in fireworks and used for celebrations, right? So that be that happened before... Uh, gunpowder was used in weapons, in weapons of war, okay? First things first, we got to have the fireworks, all right? I don't know about, any, about anyone else out there, but I live in Houston, and fireworks during Fourth of July are almost, like, ridiculous. It's like, yo, like, I understand we're happy, but come on, guys. We're, we're, these fireworks are crazy, like, all day, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and then, like, two days after, they're still... Uh, Firing off their fireworks, trying to get their money's worth. Anyway, I'm not gonna go into a rant. Um, that's that's a different story for a different day. Sorry, guys. Sometimes I tend to rant. My wife complains about it. All right, all right. Let's get back. Where were we talking about? Right, right, right. Fireworks. Right. So, cannons and grenades were among the first weapons to use gunpowder. So they were the first ones. Cannons and grenades, like little handheld grenades, the uh, ancestors to our modern day grenade. Then. Cannons and grenades were soon followed by handheld firearms made of hollow bamboo tubes. So they packed these bamboo tubes with gunpowder, right, and small projectiles. They had a really, really limited range, right? So they couldn't really uh, use them in, you know, like long distance fighting. It was, everything was hand to hand back then. So it was more like a more effective crossbow or a more effective um, longbow. Right, it was is pretty moderate ranges. We're talking hand to hand combat in China, so you know you'll be fighting in a in a pitched battle with swords and daggers, and all of a sudden you know uh, a line of maybe uh, musketeers would, would move forward and fire point blank like these these handheld cannons into the ranks of the enemy soldiers to kind of create that chaos that 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 fear. They weren't accurate at all, but what they did was they provided a shock factor, right? So when you're when you're all of a sudden you're battling with swords, you, you think you're winning. You're like, we got them on the ropes. They're retreating, and then all of a sudden you see a line of musketeers with these weird bamboo tubes with fire and brimstone just flying out of them. And all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, we're in over our heads. And it was it, that was kind of the point, more of a you know an awe factor, a shock factor. All right. So those were the first weapons. They were they had limited range, and they were only used in hand to hand close combat. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit. See how quickly I went through that? We're going to talk about European firearms, okay? So these are the early the early ancestors to what the American colonists would later use to fight the British in the American Revolution in the 1700s. So these are the ancestors of the American long rifle, right, which would later be converted into the repeating rifle, like you see in Tombstone and the, all the Westerns. But first came these European firearms, okay? All right. So, the Silk Road. Does anyone know what the Silk Road is? Okay. I'm sure you guys heard of it, maybe in a middle school, you know, social studies or high school social studies. So, the Silk Road was like a route that stretched pretty much across the globe, right? 
especially through the Middle East, Europe, North Africa, and China. Okay, so along the Silk Road, people were exchanging goods and services. A lot of the early religions, like Islam, spread really, really rapidly through the Silk Road. Merchants, right, and traders would take their religion and they would trade up and down the Silk Road and every town they went to, they would spread a little bit of it, right? They would convert a few people, you know, here. They would convert a few people there. They would trade their guns for other materials or their, you know, gems or gold for, for gunpowder, for charcoal. So all this exchange of goods and cultures kind of is what resulted in the modern evolution of the handgun, right? This is the beginning. This is like the early phases of the firearm because in order to innovate, in order to create something new, you had to exchange ideas, right? Which is why I love one of the things I, well, not why I love, but one of the things I love about social media. Now it's also good and bad. There's bad sides to it too. All right. Cause war can also be spread through this, but you know, you're able to exchange ideas. People from different countries, different cultures can go back and forth and talk and share videos and share experiences. This is pretty much the Silk Road was like the modern, you know, Facebook, right? Because you can sell things on Facebook. You can buy things on Facebook. You can meet people on Facebook. That's kind of like what the Silk Road was. That's a, very, that's a really rough comparison, but just think of it like that, all right? So, all right. And this, this really happened in the uh, 13th century. So that's the, 1200, the 1200s, right? The Silk Road moved... Modern firearms from Asia to Europe, all right? So weapons evolved from crude hand cannons to matchlock, wheel lock, and flintlock firearms, okay? So we're not going to go into all the details with that, but let's just say for our purposes that in the beginning, basically the Chinese were cutting out bamboo, they were hollowing them out and stuffing them with gunpowder and kind of putting random crap in it, right? Like, you know lead iron balls and arrows and all rocks and all type of random stuff so it would explode and kind of throw all these random items out just indiscriminately but these uh matchlock wheel lock and flintlock pistols kind of uh advanced the technology so that a certain spark there's a certain mechanism to the firearm right it wasn't just kind of a random explosion it was it, it was more mechanized does that make sense more specific in its function By the time of the, of the early American settlers, so we're talking the 15th century, right? We're starting in the 15th century, right? So the early settlers, the designs of firearms had really advanced. I mean, at this point, they were, they were start, it was picking up steam. All right, so we're talking, you know, so this is one of the things that allowed the conquistadors and all those, uh, those turds from that area, <laughs> not those turds, I'm sorry, all those conquerors, all those explorers, uh, like Cortez, you know, he conquered uh, the Aztecs and Mexico and stuff like that, you know. Um, it allowed these guys to have a really, really distinct advantage over their, their enemies, over the people they were trying to conquer, these firearms. Because, you know, cultures, ancient cultures like the, like the Mayans and the Aztecs and some of the Native American tribes, the closest thing they had to, to an a, a explosion, right, to gunpowder was a bow and arrow. Right, which is a very effective weapon, but compared to a flintlock pistol, I mean, it's really no comparison, okay? All right, so they were at 
a uh, significant disadvantage when they went up against the settlers. And this was really important for the settlers because there were so few number, they were so outnumbered by the natives that these firearms, these early firearms, they really, really leveled the playing field. Okay. All right. So the blunderbuss. Okay. So this is the the blunderbuss is like the great 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 grandfather of the of the American shotgun or the modern day shotgun. All right, is a German-made early version of the shotgun. It featured a flared muzzle, and there's a really wide opening at the top. So what that did was it helped load ammunition and projectiles a lot faster because of the wide opening. You see those in like uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean, like some of the old like blunderbusses. The conquistadors had them. The early settlers had them. Okay, a blunderbuss is kind of just like a, a shoddy like an old school ancient shoddy, right? You just stuff a bunch of buckshot and stuff in it, light that fuse and let it blow, all right? Uh, but the colonists, right, they carried matchlock muskets. So uh, the matchlock musket, so we had the blunderbuss. Those were the first generation of um, guns used in the new world. So these guns are, new, are used in the new world. They're being taken from Europe get loaded on ships, on European ships. These ships are traveling to the new world, right? They're taking settlers, outcasts, religious outcasts, you know, being being uh, persecuted in their home countries, weirdos, convicts, uh, business owners, uh, entrepreneurs. They're, they're all loading up into, the, into these freaking ships and they're going over to the new world and they're bringing these firearms with them. And, this, and these firearms... They're really what gave the early European settlers the advantage, okay? So let me explain this. So the, the early American colonists, they carried matchlock musket, uh, musket. I can't talk. Muskets, okay? So what is a matchlock musket? Say that five times fast. It's a match. It's a small piece of, of burning rope that ignites the gunpowder gun powder through a small hole in the gun's barrel, okay? So basically you stick... A piece of rope, you light it on fire, and you hope it doesn't blow up in your face. That's pretty much <laughs> what the early muskets were, right? Pretty much like a crap shoot, like, ah, oh, crap, I really, really hope this doesn't blow up in my face, all right? So, but hey, compared to the technology of their, of their adversaries, that was like lightning, like shooting them with lightning. They'd never seen anything like it. All right, all right, all right, all right, so... Quick recap, 9th century, right? We went from the 9th century China. We freaking flew through that. 9th century China, all the way to the European settlement of the New World. And soon, we're going to be talking about what everyone came to talk about. The American settlers, the American revolution, the American contribution to firearms. We're going to take a quick break because I don't want to bore you guys with my really, really monotone voice. But we'll be back soon. God bless you. Organic dope. All right, we are back. We are back live, live, live. 
All right, we're talking about settlement. We're talking about the early American settlers. Thank you for listening, guys. We're back. We're talking about the early American settlers. All right. So let me kind of explain what life was like for the early American settlers. It sucked. It was horrible. I mean, it was like, I don't know why the hell anyone would want to do that. Like, that's the thing. Like, the people who came over here really must have hated their country. I mean, you think you hate your job? You, do you hate it enough to go to a country that's never been freaking explored before? You have no idea what's out there. There's disease. There's natives that hate you, that want to skin you alive. There, there's, there's starvation, okay? Illness, uh, freaking all type of dangers. You have no money, all right? I mean, it, it, it's a hard life. So the North American gunsmiths were, like, crucial to the survival of these early settlements, like, so gunsmiths were for folks who pretty much manufactured guns, kind of like the uh, ancient blacksmiths. You know how uh, in the medieval times, they would, you know, every castle would have a blacksmith who would make armor, repair swords, make swords. Uh, that's kind of what that's that is what a uh, a gunsmith does. You know, w- with firearms, they make firearms, they repair firearms, they uh, they make ammunition. Okay, so they they are really crucial element of the uh, settlement's defensive system, right? Not only defense, but also offense, and also hunting, food gathering. Hunting was like a key role. Like, it played a key role in the survival of the colonies. (coughs) Excuse me. So, all right. Gunsmiths are the ones that uh, that, uh, developed the American long rifle. All right. It's also known as the Kentucky, Ohio, or Pennsylvania rifle. Long rifles featured elaborate carvings and were decorated with etched brass or silver plates. So they were like blinged out. If you had one of these guns, you were you you were lit. I mean, you were you were kind of it was kind of like nowadays with the rappers with all the chains and like the, the Balenciaga sweaters and stuff. Back then, if you had a musket that had, you know, silver or was engraved. With carvings and stuff, you were lit. So, what were their features of the American uh, long rifle? Extended barrel with twisting grooves along the interior bore. All right, the grooves guided a lead ball or any or another projectile to spin as it left the barrel. What this meant was that the shot flew straighter, and it allowed for the shooter to have better aim. Okay. Because if the shot flies straighter, you can hit your target a lot easier. So before, with these old school uh, muskets and these old school blunderbusses, you were kind of just kind of, you know, spraying and praying. <laughs> like, just pointing it at something and hoping it hits it. These grooves in the barrels of these long rifles, of these American rifles, really, really helped with precision. It was a monumental invention. Like, it changed the course of warfare. It changed the course of the world, really, these new rifles, okay? Because these new rifles, these long-barreled rifles, were used by the American settlers to defeat the British Army, to uh, defeat the Redcoats. They could snipe them from long range. They could reload quickly, all right? Uh, They were great uh, marksmen. 
All right. And this all came about through a simple process of adding grooves to the barrel, which made the bullet spin when it exited. All right. Now, this is the final part of our podcast for today. We're talking about the Revolutionary War. So American fighters used guerrilla style tactics uh, and their main weapon was their hunting rifles. This allowed them to engage the British Redcoats at a really long distance that they weren't used to. The British, what they would do, right, this is this is their style of warfare. They would march in formation. They would hit you with cannons and artillery first, so a bombardment. Then they would march rhythmically. They would, they would march in, in rhythmic order, in tight formation, sometimes hundreds of meters, they would meet you in close range, so they would march, 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 march all the way to a certain point. They would stop. They would issue commands right in front of your face. I mean, they were standing right in front of you. They would load their weapons. They would point their weapons. They would get the command to fire. They would fire. And the second line would march forward right and right behind the first line. They would put their pretty much rifles right over their shoulders and fire another volley. And this is how they fought. They were disciplined. They were robotic, they were efficient, they were feared across the world because they were so good at this old-school colonial-style war, uh, warfare, this kind of Napoleonic warfare. This was from the, um, the ancient kind of European battles, right? The ancient battles. Actually, I take that back. It wasn't Napoleonic warfare because Napoleon was a little bit later. But this is how the British fought overseas against other European powers for hundreds of years. Okay. Yeah. So Napoleon came a little bit later, but he also uses style warfare and it soon was, uh, was outdated, but this is kind of the beginning. All right. So most of the American militiamen, they use a combination of the British Brown best and the French musket. So these were smooth bore weapons. They had less precise aim, but they were loaded, they reloaded much faster. So as demand increased, right? So American long rifles were great, but they were rare, right? The war was starting to really flare up. So American gunsmiths didn't have time to really make these intricately designed rifles. So what they would do, they would they switched over the smooth bore rifles, which were easier to produce. They weren't as precise. Right, but they, they loaded, they reloaded a lot faster, right? And what they would do was, all right, it's like, okay, we can't get our hands on many of these European models, so we're gonna start making our own. A spark was used to ignite the gunpowder in these uh, American-made smoothbore weapons, and the spark was made by a piece of flint, and the flint struck a metal plate or a pan that was coated in gunpowder, right? A well-trained soldier could fire and reload a flintlock weapon three times a minute. An American long rifle required a tightly loaded bullet and took a minute to load and fire a single shot. And that was unacceptable because the British were super efficient. So the Americans had to match that. And they matched that by, they might not have been as precise, but they could load and fire a lot faster. And what they would do, they would, they would reload on the run, right? On, in the move, right? As they're moving, from cover to cover because they were fighting with guerrilla style tactics they would reload on the move right so the british would be stagnant right they'd be standing in line expecting the americans to engage them 
kind of in man man to man mano e mano you know old school you know western standoff type warfare the americans were not having that that's not how they fought all right because they've been fighting indians for the past 100 years native americans and the native americans did not fight like that so uh the British had trouble adapting to this type of warfare. So the British, ever, if you have ever seen the Patriot, that's how the uh, American revolutionaries fought, the militia. Remember when Mel Gibson uh, slaughtered all those British soldiers when he was trying to rescue his son? That was how the American colonists fought the British, right? Maybe, you know, obviously that was dramatized for the movies, but like that, they would shoot from different positions, move around, and then they would move in with their knives, move in with their tomahawks, with their closed weapons, once they did damage to the British ranks, all right? <coughs> Excuse me. So, to boost the American manufacturing capacity, General George Washington ordered the establishment of the Springfield Armory in Springfield, Massachusetts, in 1776. So, remember Springfield Armory? The gun manufacturer, this is, where they, this is when they started. They're one of the oldest armories in the country, if not the oldest. So the armory, really in the beginning, it was used to store muskets and store ammunition. But by the end of the war, they were making their own muskets and they were making their own ammo because the war was really starting to heat up at that point. So after the war, Congress established Harper's Ferry Armory in West Virginia in 1798. Okay, so 1798 was the first official armory sponsored and approved by the United States Congress. Right? This is one of the first acts of Congress. The new American government really wanted to ensure that their that their freedom, that their liberty would be protected. So they needed to maintain a standing army and they needed to make sure that the nation had a had an official armory, an official way to produce weapons and ammunition on a really, really large scale. Because you never knew when the British were coming back. If they thought the British were just going to take this ass whooping and keep it moving, nah. The British weren't having that. They were used to winning. They were used to destroying people. And they weren't going to let a bunch of little ragtag stepchildren, you know, beat their ass and, and, and just call it a day. So that's when the War of 1812 happened. But this is where we stopped, guys. All right? I flew through that. I'm sorry if I stumbled and bumbled a little bit. I just get so excited about history. I love history. I'm a history buff. All right? So this was the Cliff Notes version of the gun. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of nerds. Like, well, Chase, you missed this. You missed that. Well, listen, guys. This is a podcast. You are going to fall asleep if I bore you with every fact. Well, General Li Zing Wang of the fifth Chinese Imperial Army was the first one to use it. Nah, no one wants to hear that on a podcast, all right? So we're going to fly through these facts. We're going to say it with energy. This is my passion. I love the Second Amendment. I love firearms. So I really wanted to dive into some of the basics of where firearms came from, man. And I just appreciate listen, uh, you guys listening. I appreciate the audience. We will be on Apple iTunes soon. Um, Apple Podcasts. Uh, and Spotify, we just submitted our podcast for Apple, uh, to Apple for, uh, for their approval. So hopefully we're on there soon. I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We will see you next time. Ape.
Thank you so much for paying attention today. Hope I didn't make you guys fall asleep. <laughs> All right, remember, stay situationally aware. Stay safe. Train on your firearms. Dry fire. All right, watch our videos. Learn. Always keep an open mind. Come train with me. Lessons are by appointment only. DM me. Email me. I got plenty of spots open. Thank you, guys. Peace.